744. Good Wednesday morning to you. Snow melts away. A little snow we had anyway. 23 records across the province yesterday. Maple Creek got up to 21. A couple weeks ago, they were at minus 42. 63 degree difference. (laughs) Maple Creek was warmer than Orlando, Florida yesterday. Orlando hitting 19. Regina got to 10, and that broke a record as well. And, uh... (laughs) Not too bad if you like warmth, but if you're more in the snow camp, yeah, you're thinking, okay, come on already. Here we are at the end of January. I'm joined this morning by Saskatchewan Snowmobile Association Executive Director Leah Switzer to talk about the season so far. Good morning, Leah. Hi, thanks for having me. It's been kind of a tough year, hasn't it? We're talking about, you know, how warm it is this week. The forecast and, and highs into the plus territory. A little bit of an oddity for this late in the winter. Here we are at the end of January, coming up to February, and we're still talking about this. For a lot of people, they like these warm temps, but for the Saskatchewan Snowmobile Association, it's certainly been a weird year for you. It has. It's really been a struggle. Uh, we've Honestly, from memory, a lot of the our members and that cannot think of a year that's been like this, where it's so widespread throughout the province of so little snow and such warm temperatures to deal with. So what are the effects here? I, I can imagine registration, is that down significantly? Yes, we are seeing um, as of the end of December, registration was significantly down. And registration is the funds that, that support our clubs. Um, So that gets a little bit nerve-wracking for them all when they're seeing those numbers come in so low. They do put expenses out every year, even if they can't get the groomers moving. Yeah, so not a whole lot of snow. That leads to very few, if any, rallies, and obviously that hurts your association. Very much. Those rallies are what clubs depend on for um, to, to cover the rest of their funding. So the funding through registrations don't cover all their costs those rallies are their fundraisers. So when they have to cancel those due to the snow, they definitely feel that. The trails probably don't look anywhere near, you know, how they should this time of year. Is there anywhere in the province where they do look actually surprisingly okay? Um, What I'm hearing as of the end of last week, um, the very northeast part of the province has what they call decent snow. <laughs> um, it wouldn't be their typical snow for January, the, the same depth, but it's definitely um, good, better conditions than they're seeing everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, we have, let's face it, February, March, possibly half of April. Is there time, Leah, for this to rebound yet? Um, there's time. It, it typically those later season riding, you're seeing that usually um, in more of the north of the province. We've definitely had years where our south has gotten lots of snow late into the season. Um, if we can get some good snow with good temperatures, so that's the other part, is if there's snow coming but they see those plus temperatures showing up within a week of that snow, it's um, not the right conditions for them to get out and get their trails groomed because they're going to melt on them right away. Talking with Leah Switzer, Executive Director of Saskatchewan Snowmobile Association this morning. And how are you feeling? Optimistic? Is there anything that people can do uh, to help aside from, you know, uh, doing a snow dance? Uh, (laughs) 
snow dance is about what we're all hoping for. It's, it, it leaves you pretty powerless uh, when you're, you know, at the mercy of Mother Nature. So uh, we're definitely trying to stay positive, keep the clubs positive, um, find any solutions we can to help them out of be supportive of them getting trying to get what trails they can open going um, anything that there is to do we can and then we're just asking the public that if you are going out riding to please register your sled because the clubs deeply depend on that thank you very much for your time this morning leah thank you so much Seven fifty-one. Next couple days, we're going to feel hot, hot, hot. You don't have to go on a tropical vacation to feel the warmth in Saskatchewan. This week, Maple Creek, as you've been hearing about getting up to 21 yesterday. 21 degrees. Yes, that was a record part of 23 records across Saskatchewan. That was one of the big headlines. Also in news today, we're following another member of the SAS party resigning because of a police investigation. This time, it's MLA Greg Lawrence, Moose Jaw, Wacomal representative. This was the breaking news from late yesterday afternoon. We don't know much here. All the SAS party has said on this is that Lawrence handed in his resignation yesterday because of an active police investigation into what they call historical complaints. What kind of historical complaints? Well, that we haven't been told. Other than these complaints aren't related to his duties as an MLA. Now, our newsroom is trying to get more information on this. We have calls out with police, with the SAS party, with the premier, trying to figure out more. Lawrence isn't completely gone. He's out from the party. Yes, he's gone from caucus, but he'll still serve as an independent. He didn't have much time left anyway. We knew that he wasn't seeking re-election in the upcoming fall election. So he'll be done in the fall no matter what. It's the second SAS party resignation in the last few months as well. You'll remember Cutknife Turtleford MLA Ryan Dominer also resigned following an arrest and charge in connection with a human trafficking investigation. Speaking of investigations, four more players from Canada's 2018 gold-winning World Junior Hockey team are now charged with sexual assault formally. You've been hearing it in the news. Lawyers for Calgary Flames forward Dylan Dubé, Flyers goalie Carter Hart, and Devils players Michael McLeod and Cal Foote confirmed the charges yesterday and say their clients would plead not guilty. And we told you about... Former NHLer Alex Formanton, who surrendered to police in London, Ontario this past weekend, his lawyer also confirming the Swiss-based athlete was charged and would also plead not guilty. The alleged group sexual assault reportedly happened in a London hotel room after a Hockey Canada gala from 2018. These are expected to provide an update on their investigation on Monday, this upcoming Monday. We'll hopefully learn a little bit more from police on this. The other big one today, locally, they're talking hens in your backyard today. There's a motion on the table. The city could allow you to draft a bylaw. They would allow you, what, several hens in your backyard. Certain number of, of hens. At least three, no more than six. Very specific. No roosters, just hens. So it could be a two-year pilot project. They'll debate this today on whether they want to move forward with it. It could be in effect by this summer. We've heard concerns from some people saying, I don't want chickens in you know, my neighbor's backyard, for example, citing concerns of smell, 
potential noise. Now, we've talked to a few people who are advocating for this. They want to be able to have chickens in their backyard. And we've also heard for some people that bring up uh, dogs, for example, if you're worried about smell and noise, dogs bark, right? Most dogs bark. And there are some owners, dogs, who don't pick up their poop in the backyard. And so it can smell if the wind hits it just right. So anyway, council will discuss this. It's on the table today, whether this motion moves ahead or whether they quash it, we'll see. Also, they're going to be talking a little bit more about housing, how to remove some of the barriers, the red tape, and get more houses built here in the city. Separated. 8.13 on your Wednesday morning. Kevin Martell in once again for Greg Morgan. He'll be back next week. Well, we're still waiting on the jury to come up with recommendations. It's been more than two weeks in Melfort to the James Smith Cree Nation stabbing inquest. Filled with evidence, witnesses, grief, trauma, and for some, even a bit of healing. On ADCJME senior reporter Lisa Schick is there. <laughs> Drummers, singers, and later a traditional dancer performed to close out the evidence portion of the inquest. The dancer said he was looking to take some of the burden off those who needed it, even for just a little while. With this first part over, there's almost a sense of relief in the building. Joyce Burns has been here basically every day, listening to the witnesses, the evidence, the recounting of the attacks that she and her husband were victims of. Earl Burns Sr., didn't survive. But Joyce says she's now gained some insight into the man who did it, Miles Sanderson. Where he come from? And you know, it opened my eyes. He was neglected. He was abused. You know, he, did, he didn't know how to change his life. He didn't know how to change it. He didn't know how to, who to turn to. He had nobody. She says it makes her think about her kids and grandkids. I want them to bring up their children better than well, how he was brought up. I don't want my grandkids to go down that road. Maybe that's why I'm here, because I just about died twice. And I told my husband I didn't want to go with him. I didn't want to die. I'm not done here yet. Deborah Burns is Joyce and Earl's daughter and has been speaking for them in the hearing room. She says the inquest itself has helped. At the beginning, we were angry. We were confused. We had a lot of questions about the how, the why, and yeah, satisfied with some of it. Buggy Burns lost his wife and son, Bonnie and Gregory, but Chelsea Stonestand has been speaking for them, and she says Buggy's seen some good come out of this process. Buggy speaks openly about the different changes he's observed within himself, which is being able to sleep more, being able, able to have a more clear mind, being able to have an understanding that can bring him some comfort in the loss of his wife and son. Certainly there are complaints, people saying not all the story is being told, or that this process is too narrow to tackle the systemic issues at play. On the recommendations, Chelsea says they need to be addressed to all agencies, not just one or two, because the issues are so complicated. We keep going back to the fact that we all occupy these lands together, and so we need to take a collective approach and work together. Others, like Deborah, are looking for change in their communities. Our community itself lacks, and this shows. Something like this shouldn't have happened. 
and we should be better equipped for people coming out of the prison system. Daryl Burns agrees. He's been speaking for his late sister, Lydia Gloria Burns. He says supports from prison should be extended to the community to help people who are coming home. So if we're on the same page and if we're on the same, have the same knowledge, our people have a better chance of recovery in our communities. Overall, most are really just looking for something to change. Throughout this whole process and ever since the, uh, the, the tragedy happened in our community, I always wanted change for our people. I always wanted things to improve for our people. At the Cary Vicar Center in Melfort, Lisa Schick, 980 CJME. Eight twenty-one. A box of rare sports memorabilia is now forbidding. It's called one of the most valuable pieces of unopened sports material ever sold at auction, and it was discovered right here in a Regina home. Nine eighty CJME's Jillian Massey has the story for us this morning. Wayne Gretzky, the great one, has become the greatest of them all. The leading scorer in the history of the National Hockey League. Who would have thought that a scrappy NHL newbie would now have one of the most valuable rookie cards? There are only a few mint condition Wayne Gretzky rookie cards out there, but a discovery of a case of 1979 OPG hockey cards might change that. It comes from a Regina home where a stack of boxes has protected it for the past 45 years. As the son of the family says, it stayed there because they're just a trading card kind of family. My dad would have bought two cases in 1979, and he usually got my sister and I as kids to uh, actually sort. He would have opened one of the cases, and my sister and I quite routinely sorted them, and he would trade those sets with uh, other other people. He says it was time to start selling off some of his dad's hockey collection. My dad was downsizing, and which is why we had to start going through the house to, to find out what was there, um, and it's just a matter of, of not just disposing of that box, but disposing of, of a lot of the other stuff he has, uh, just from a space issue. And, and that box was sitting there. We didn't even know that specific box was there. Uh, but when we found it and, and I reached out to the auction people, they were very excited because it's apparently, you know, one of a kind. When Jason Simmons, the sports consignment director with Heritage Auctions, got a photo of the box in his office in New York, he thought he won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I believe my response to the text message was, oh my God. Simmons says this is the only known box in existence. This is the biggest single item I've ever I've ever brought in. It's uh, remarkable. It's going to be the most valuable piece of unopened material that's ever sold at auction. Simmons says the case contains multiple of the Great Ones rookie cards. The big card is Wayne Gretzky's rookie card, his 1979 OPG hockey rookie card. Um, you know, obviously Wayne Gretzky is the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest hockey player of all time. And this is his best card. And frankly, this is the best hockey card. Heritage Auctions sold one of Gretzky's rookie cards in mint condition for almost $4 million. Simmons says the case should have between 25 and 30 cards that look like they have come straight out of the factory. It's completely unique. It's, it's the holy grail of hockey cards. Um, and that's not you know, overstating it. it really is the holy grail of hockey cards. In Regina, Jillian Massey, 980 CJME. From the hockey world to curling and today, the men's tankard playdowns open up in Saskatoon. The provincial curling championship on the men's side to see who represents Saskatchewan at the Briar, which, by the way, is right here in Regina, March 1st to 10th. 
We can call that next month, right? Basically, we're almost there, almost Feb 1. Uh, 12 teams will compete here over the next five days uh, in Saskatoon and the Tana Curling Club. The first games, yeah, they go this afternoon at 2, and then championship final is set for Sunday afternoon uh, at 2 as well. Hey, there's curling on at Frost, Regina. Croak a curl, close. But now curling and a lot of other events around ice are in jeopardy. Yeah, because of the warm weather, Wiscana Ring, for example, it had to close yesterday right in front of the legislature. It just opened a week ago, and they said because of the warm weather, they had to, well, shut her down for skating yesterday. The Provincial Capital Commission says it was closed yesterday. They'll be monitoring it on a day-by-day basis the rest of this week to see when it can open up. And, of course, this is what you, I mean, let's face it, this is what you want for an outdoor festival is temperatures that you can comfortable in if you're going to be outside doing anything activity wise you want it to be a little bit mild i don't think they would have you know anticipated this though so mild that some of the very attractions that they have offered up to you are shut down and so it'd be interesting to see uh, because you have a number of skating rinks as part of frost regina outdoor skating rinks you have ice sculptures you have that big ice slide at real district as well interesting to see if all of those events will still go ahead Uh, And certainly it's going to pick up activity-wise for the weekend as more people are off work. And if these mild temps hold up and the forecast says, yeah, they will. CJME News Time is now 826.